as the regulars might know, I, I will often, I'll surf the net and I'll read odd kind of obscure magazines or journals to find things that, uh, that I can use for homily anecdotes, for you know, the beginnings of sermons or teaching a class or, or a, a formation session. Well, so it should come as only a small degree of surprise that for pre preparing for Christmas, I spent some time on babycentral.com. Makes a lot of sense. Well, I found there an article. I found there an article which was very interesting to me, unmarried, celibate male, but the article became entitled 42 Things That Change When You Have a Baby. Now, it actually, the original article was 15 things, and then the author, a psychologist, kept getting suggestions from readers, and she kind of added those to an additional list. She created more, but some of the additions, some of the additions are a little more pragmatic, a little more down to earth. They're, they're kind of interesting. Things that change when you have a baby. You'd rather buy a plastic tricycle than those shoes that you've been dying to have. You don't mind going to bed at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. In fact, you probably relish it. You realize that you can love a complete stranger. You find yourself wanting to make the world a better place. You take time for one more hug and kiss even if it means you'll be late. Now, I did say that some of these were a little more down to earth. In fact, I would call them earthy. The one that affirms, as I said before, my not being married and not having children, the one that was suggested, bodily functions are no longer repulsive. In fact, some of them please you. I don't want to understand that one. <laughs> now, the original author had a number of good insights as well, things that change when you have a baby. You finally stop to smell the roses because your baby is in your arms. Where you once believed you were fearless, you now, uh, you now find yourself a little worried, a little anxious. The sacrifices you thought you made to have a child no longer seem like sacrifices. And one more insightful one. You find that your baby's pain feels much worse than your own. Great insights. It's, it's an amazing thing as I see, I encounter couples preparing for baptism or in the period of time after marriage. Having a baby, bringing a, a life into the world is transformative in and of itself, but it penetrates deeply into so many other aspects. Having a baby changes not just the, the woman into a mother, the, the couple into a family. It changes, it ripples out to much more. And that's important for us to understand. We have, on this day, a unique responsibility to understand the infant Jesus, the baby Jesus coming into our midst. Now, I gotta, we have to step back a little bit. Christianity is unique among the great monotheistic religions. The, the three great monotheistic religions are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And we set aside, at least for this discussion, we set aside kind of the Roman and the Greek gods with their whole pantheon of gods. We set aside nature religions. We even set aside Hindu and, and Buddhism. They just have a different understanding of, of how God will enter, or you know, of God itself, himself. But the monotheistic religions 
We are unique in that we have a sense of what's called theophany. Fancy Greek word, it'll be on the quiz later. Theophany is the encounter with God, with God in a sensible, a sensate manner. Something that is practically, that we can experience. Now in Judaism, they have a notion of that God resides in the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum of the temple. But now that's qualified by two significant things. One, when there is a Holy of Holies, only the high priest can go in at certain times and experience it, experience, encounter God. And second, since the destruction of the temple, they've now, they have never reestablished that sense of the Holy of Holies. Go to the other side, Islam, and I'll admit I'm not an expert, but Islam does not have, have a, a theology, as I see it, of encountering of anyone you know, even maybe the closest would be the Prophet Muhammad receiving the revelation that became the Quran, but there is not a sense of a physical encounter with God. That is something very unique, very unique to Christianity. And we have it for a variety of reasons and a variety of effective impact. And it's not only true in the day of the, the days that the scripture was written, it's true today. We, we will receive the very body and blood of Christ shortly. We will have a physical interaction and encounter and experience with God. It is profound and important to us in our Christian faith. But now we then move to a question of how that encounter would take place. There are a couple of options. God didn't, you know, we, we have John's Gospel, which told us about how in the beginning there was the Word, doesn't necessarily say how that word and how the son would be encountered. There could have been, in the Old Testament, we have the image you know, of that great flaming chariot from the book of Daniel. It could have been that, that God would come when the need was there, when the need was sufficient, God would come as a, a victorious warrior or general or king on a, on a chariot of fire and just everybody would be in awe and impressed by that. There's also, you know, it could have been more sublime, more subtle. In English literature, those of you that have studied English literature, there is an archetype called the mysterious stranger. Now, to be honest, you do not have to have studied English literature to have some idea of what the mysterious stranger is. It's pretty self-evident, but also all you need to do is to go back and review any early 1970s spaghetti westerns starring Clint Eastwood. He was, as High Plains Drifter, as, as Pale Rider, he was the mysterious stranger, that person who comes in with an unknown past or an unknown origin, and he fights the evil, he helps the, the city, the town, to stand up for itself. He allows them to be victorious in the moment, but guess what, he rides off into the sunset, literally, at the end of the movie. We could have those two possibilities, the chariot of fire or the mysterious stranger, but no. We have, we have God, our Heavenly Father, deciding that the encounter, the first and most profound encounter under the new covenant that the people of faith would have would be in the form of a child, an infant, a baby. There's a particular reason for that. A reason that is not only theological, that he will come and he will be born of the house of David, but it will be a, a part of the reaction that we have, a part of the reaction that we are drawn into. 
Everybody knows what happens when a baby, a baby is introduced into the dynamic. Now, 20 years ago when I was a young priest, I might have arranged with someone before Mass, for the homily, I want to hold your baby. The problem with that is every one of you or the families in the pews would be starting a little bit of the, the, the pool. When will the spit-up occur? Or when will the baby start crying? And you will lose, you will lose attention to, to me, and that's fine. But babies do that. Babies draw us out of ourselves, not only in the care, the, the absolute defenselessness, the absolute need that they have, but they draw us out of ourselves just by some amazing, you know, power. How is it that highly educated, highly intelligent adults can then sit with a baby and carry on entire paragraphs of conversation using only vowels? Ah, oh, ooh. And it seems to make sense. Because a baby draws us out. A baby forces us to have a different disposition. Maybe, as the article said, 42 things that change. Maybe we go back to that list and say, what does it mean if I interpret this through the eyes of faith, through an experience of faith? You finally stop to smell the roses because your baby is in your arms. Maybe a Christian interpretation, you can finally see the beauty of creation because the creator is in our midst. Where you once believed you were fearless, you now find yourself worried or anxious. Maybe this should under, be understood as the, when the Savior rests in a manger, we all become humble. We become, we become before God, worshiping him. The sacrifices you thought you made to have a child no longer seem like sacrifices at all. That sacrifices are truly worth, worth it. And that last one, you find that your baby's pain feels much worse than your own person of faith would say that empathy is both divine and human. God the Father made a very specific choice to decide that the theophany, the experience of God that we would have would begin, just begin with an infant, with a child. And in the same way that bringing a child into the world creates a lifetime of commitment, a lifetime of responsibility, oh, it'll have some rocky moments, it'll have some difficulties. But like a journey of faith, which has some difficulties, has some rocky moments, it's a lifetime journey. And it's a lifetime journey that hopes that the encounter never ends, that it's always there to return to whenever there's great need, to return to <laughs> as often as there are soccer games. You come here once a week, too. As often as the Lord can be present to us as an infant, as a teacher, as a preacher, as a healer, as a sacrament. We are drawn into it because the first experience of Christ, of Jesus, was as an infant in the manger. How many things in your life changed because you acknowledge that? How many things in your life are transformed because you feel a responsibility, a commitment to a baby in the manger. Merry Christmas and blessings to you.